Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This, your scripture study class. Um, we're happy that you're here. If it's your first time, we are moving through the Book of Mormon this year, and we are just pointing out just our favorite parts, the things that we think you don't want to miss. Obviously, there's more than just that, but hopefully by the end of today, you uh, love Jesus more, you love the Book of Mormon more, uh, you love yourself more. You love Grace more, <laughs> her and the concept, <laughs> Jesus, perfect. Yeah, all of those oh, things. So we're super happy that you're here. Uh, we are starting a, um, a, oh, before that, you guys, go back to last week's video if you want to see more of this. But Easter's coming. Easter's on the way. If you didn't see last week's video um, or listen to it. Uh, we don't really have something in our calendar that signals us it's the Easter season. And so we have to kind of watch for it. And we're trying to be really deliberate about that. Uh, today's actually the first day of Lent and Valentine's Day, the day we're recording this, by the way, which is the way the general um, Christian church kind of knows I'm 40 days out from Easter and can start preparing for it and thinking about it. And we just want to let's uh, encourage each other to be uh, better observers of Easter. It's just the, it can sneak up on you. And um, we want to help create a Christ-centered season, not just the day. And so we created this over at Good News Brand as one idea of something that you could do. By the time this video comes out, we just didn't, we just don't have too many of these. And so I, I'm hoping they're still there. If not, <laughs> We're going to find something else that we can do all together also. But this fun. is a, um, it's a tradition that's also a decoration that hangs in your house. It's 21 days. It starts at the beginning of March. So that's why we're telling you now. So you can have one in March 12th. By the beginning, I mean a third of the way through. And it just will do scriptures that um, talk about Jesus as a savior, deliverer, and redeemer. And then when you get to Holy Week, it starts a Holy Week. Um, celebration. And we said this last week and I thought about it after we left and we're done recording that the very first day of Holy Week is Palm Sunday when Jesus rides in and I'm not going to be able to find the page in here. I'm acting like I'm going <laughs> to. But um, when Jesus rides in and the question that the crowd asks is, who is this? Mm. And people say, this is Jesus. And for some, that's just like, oh, that's his name. Oh, there okay. it is. Y'all doubted me. Um, who is this? This is Jesus. And I was just thinking how cool it is that um, that question, I'm going to have an answer for it because I've just spent 14 days studying about him as a savior, deliverer, and redeemer. I would have waved palm branches on Palm Sunday if I knew that about who he was. So that's kind of why this is set up the way that it is. And it's called Hosanna. So that wins you. Yeah, I'm one right from the beginning. So these are at goodnewsbrandco.com. I hope they're still available by the time you see this. Don't be sad if, if they're not. If not, if not Easter's still coming Easter's for you. coming. It's going to be okay. And we're going to come up with cool traditions to yeah. celebrate the whole season. So that's what we're going to do. All right. Today, what I was about to say is today's um, chapters, 2 Nephi 11 through 19. Um, these began, we've already seen some Isaiah chapters, and I hope that you've fallen in love with Isaiah chapters, because he has a really deliberate and particular purpose in writing. And that is to show us who Jesus is. In fact, right here in the very beginning, let's just jump into 
um, why we named this title this. Let's jump into the, the first week's lesson, which look, I'm not even on the right page on our little calendar that we're flipping <laughs> through. Um, it's going to be uh, chapter 11. And Nephi's going to, Jacob has just talked, and now Nephi's going to talk, and he's going to quote Isaiah. And he's going to kind of talk about the three of them, which stand as these three internal witnesses in the Book of Mormon. You may know that the Book of Mormon had three witnesses who saw the plates, but within the text itself are these three witnesses, uh, not of the plates, but of Jesus. Three witnesses of the Redeemer. And he says, well, I'm in 16, you guys. I'm excited to jump ahead. (laughs) Uh, Jacob spake many more things to my people, but I didn't write them down, verse 1. And then verse 2 says this, Now I, Nephi, write more of the words of Isaiah, for my soul delighteth in his words. Why? For I will liken his words unto my people, and I'll send them forth unto all my children, for verily he saw my Redeemer, even as I have seen him. And my brother Jacob also has seen him, as I have seen him. Now, I think he's talking about being a, they are witnesses of, they've seen him in some particular way. But I like, we were talking just before we started recording about that phrase, what a neat phrase that is, that he says, he sees him the way I see him. And I, I remember um, one of the lines I used maybe most often as a bishop, um, besides um, manifest by the right hand, <laughs> you know, that's probably number one. <laughs> but one of the lines I used most often is when talking with people, I would say, that's not the God I know. Or, in other words, another way of saying, that's not how I see Jesus. And it was people who were despaired, people who were afraid of him, people who couldn't trust him. And I um, loved showing them the way I see him. This is how I see Jesus. And I love having conversations with people and seeing how they see Jesus. And it's neat to have Nephi saying, he saw Jesus the same way I did. He saw his character. He saw his heart. And so did Jacob. And anyone who's had an encounter with him knows, knows something about him. And, 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 and in the end, I want to just tell you this, verse 8. It says, I write some of the words of Isaiah that whoso of my people shall see these words may lift up their hearts and rejoice. If you are seeing him correctly, that will be the response. To lift up your heads the heads that hang down in shame or regret or guilt or um, discouragement. If you see Jesus the way he truly is, your heads will lift right up and you'll have reason to rejoice. And not only for yourself, but keep reading, it says, for all men. At the end of these, read these words in that lens that I'll have reason to rejoice for, for myself and for all men. Um, Nephi shares this list in chapter 11 that I think you might want to kind of circle and underline as you go through because he says, my soul delighteth, verse four, improving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ. He wants to prove his words. He says, I want to teach you something about Christ. My cousin served as a missionary in um, Great Britain and she was on the Isle of Man and she had this um, for a lot of her mission. I don't know why I had to tell you that detail, but there you go. Like I, that was, yeah. In case there's anyone out there from the Isle of Man, this is just a shout out, you know, but she, uh, she had her guitar on her mission and she would write songs for the converts that got baptized. And she wrote this song for one of her converts. Which first of all, you're kidding me. 
I know. I, I I don't I don't think I gave enough time for that because yeah, I've I'm already like, told the story yeah, to you. Yeah, I'm like, go back. She yeah. wrote songs for all of the people and that played them. I'm like, she played them at their baptism. Bye, and she that's it. At their baptism. That's it. So Wait, she wrote give me this her number song. because I want a song. Thank you. Yeah. She wrote this song for one of her converts, and the cor- I, I don't remember what she called it, but the chorus went, "If I were to teach one thing about Christ, what would it be?" And I really love thinking to myself that question. That might be a great question you'd ask um, as you sit down all together. Um, in fact, I'm going to make that one of the questions for the yeah. devotionals, the you know, in the, in the dailies. Yeah. Um, if I were to teach one thing about Christ, what would it be? Now, Nevi, if you flip the page over, there's no way you're going to be able to keep him to one thing. So he's going to give <laughs> you like eight. But he said, here are the things that I love to teach people about Christ. One, that he shows up. In verse four, it says the coming of Christ. That might mean the Christmas, the birth of Christ. For us, that might mean the second coming. But, but we believe in a Jesus who will show up and one who comes. Um, I, I love teaching people about his covenants, his promises, and particularly how he keeps them. And at, side note, that's why Nephi loves Isaiah so much because Isaiah focuses so much on no matter how dirty, rotten, scoundrelly you act, Jesus is going to keep trying. He's going to keep coming back because he promised he would. And he is a keeper of promises. It's one of the things that you can accept, I mean, expect about him. And, and Nephi says, I love proving that to people. I love teaching people about his grace, his justice. Remember, this is setting everything right is what that means. I love teaching people he can do anything, anytime, anywhere. He's a God of power. I love reminding people he's merciful and I love reminding people that he has a plan and the purpose of that plan, verse six is, my soul delighteth in proving unto people that save Christ should come, all men must perish. That he came as, a, this is a rescue mission. Uh, St. John chapter three, verse 16, no one's ever said St. John like that before. <laughs> they just say John three sixteen. but I'm, I'm in a mood today, apparently, everyone. But in John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the next verse, Jesus reminds you and says, I came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. This is a, this is a rescue mission. And that's his intro to the teachings of Isaiah. And that's the, those are the things I think you ought to look for as you read these words, I think he's giving a, um, well, an intro, but I felt like there was a fancier word for it, y'all. And, and for that, me, and it's um, not That's true. all it's going to be. I was like, is there like a, I feel it's like a, intro. oh, a thesis statement is oh, kind of what I was oh, thinking. Was I was going scholarly. fancy. I was okay, going yeah. fancy. These are things you ought to look for. We have a tip in that goes in this section here, and it's the tips for studying Isaiah. Uh, they come from Second Nephi chapter twenty-five, and the verses are on here that you're gonna that you're gonna want. Let me just give them for you, real quick. If you jump over to section twenty-five, and by section I mean chapter of Second <laughs> Nephi, here are the the four tips that Nephi gives for studying Isaiah. One of them's in verse one at the very end. He says some people have a hard time because they know not the manner of the prophesying among the Jews. Just the way that Jewish prophets spoke and wrote is really important. And let me give you one of those. One of those is they don't necessarily do things in order. Um, we, our books are usually in order. But you know when you watch a movie and it starts like at a scene that's three quarters of the way through that's super intense? It's usually a James Bond movie. 
and you're like, you, you don't know what's happening. You're like, what the heck is going on? And then it'll come up and like three weeks earlier. And then the movie kind of starts. I, I, Jewish prophets jumped around. Luckily, you and I know the kind of whole storyline. And so we can see, oh, I see. I can plug in and see kind of where you're at. But that's one of the things that he talks about in verse one. He also says it in verse five, where he says the things of the Jews, the countries, the cities, the kings, the circumstances. It's hard to read if you don't know who those people are. So P.S., can I just give this bit of advice also? You might look into a study Bible or there's a lot of online resources. Bible Hub, for example, is one of those that you can look up and see, oh, okay, that's who that is. I can get my footing and my grounding there. Which will even help with the cultural part that we don't know and we're missing. Yeah, yeah. Study Bibles usually include more of those in there instead of, I'm looking for, oh, my phone's like, it's blending in. It's, um, Camouflage. Uh, there is this book I also really love. And I'm going to try and look it up as I'm talking to you because I want to remember the, the name of it. Um, I just searched for it because it's on the... Um, oh, man. It's called... I would try to help you right now, but I just... I know. You just can't. Why did it not give me my... Y'all. Okay. Check the newsletter. I'm so sorry. That's all I can say. And I will find it after the video is over. It's, it's a book that you can get. Halfway on through, you're going to remember what yeah, the name yeah, is. Yeah. That's fine. Oh, uh, the Book of Mormon Reference Companion. Oh. Do not check the email. <laughs> right. <laughs> check it for other things. Uh, that's a great book. It's about this thick. You want to kind of maybe watch for it on sale or get a coupon because it's like 50 bucks. Um, or it's on Bookshelf. If you have the Bookshelf app from Deseret Book. The Isaiah section in that book is worth the purchase of the book. So FYI, that helps a lot out with what Nephi calls the things of the Jews. Um, I spent a long time on that, but hopefully that's helpful. Second one is in verse 4 of 25 where he says, um, it's, it's plain in the middle unto all those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. Um, that's the spirit of, the, of a testimony of Jesus. Um, it was written under influence of the spirit, so best understood by influence of the spirit. Which makes me so happy because it gives me permission to say, I have no idea if this is actually what it's saying, but this is what I got from it, and I'm going to love that. Yeah. And that's fine. Yes. You can just do that. It's going to be okay. Awesome. Third one, in verses 7 through 8, he says, uh, Nevertheless, in 7, in the days that the prophecies of Isaiah shall be fulfilled, people will know of a surety. And we live in those days. And so to know of latter-day prophecy and also to live in the latter days is a tip for understanding Isaiah. He's writing to this day of restoration as he's writing. And so we live in it, and so we can see that a little better. And then verse 4, my favorite I mean, fourth tip, my favorite one is in verse um, 13, which is this line that almost similar to what we just read. End of 13. Wherefore, my soul delighteth to prophesy concerning him, meaning Jesus, for I've seen his day and my heart doth magnify his holy name. What you read in Isaiah will magnify, make bigger, make more holy the name, purpose, mission of Jesus Christ. Uh, If it's not quite doing that, it means we're, we're probably not quite reading it correctly. So, um, and then add that verse eight onto your tip that it will cause you to lift up your hearts and rejoice for all men because he's a keeper of promises and his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. I'm not going to give up until, until I've reached and given a chance, multiple chances to everyone in the whole wide world. So, There's that intro to some of these chapters and um, I think a great lens to read all scripture through. 
And it makes me so excited for Second Nephi because it seems so exciting to me to get to know the, the God that Nephi and Isaiah both love. Yeah. I just want to say, paint the picture for me. Right. Isaiah is going to, pretty much the Isaiah chapters could be titled, This is How I See Him. Which is so cute. Let me introduce you. Yeah. yeah I've seen him. I know what he's like. I Let want them to paint the picture for me. Right. So right. that's so fun. So no jokes are allowed in Sunday school about the bullets <laughs> that so stopped in Second Nephi or so anything true. like that because they couldn't make it through Isaiah. You're you, going to make it. You're going to want to come back to them. More than that, you're just going to love it. Um, the next section for this week is Second Nephi chapter 12. We called it Go Up because the whole, it's just the beginning. The second verse, that's what it wants to talk about, is going up to the mountain of the Lord. But we have to pause there before we even get there because this chapter for me is going to explain how to begin a covenant relationship with God. Wow, it's what gonna a cool say, way to say that. Yeah, it's going to say, let me show you where to start. The beginning, if you've never done it before, this is a good idea of how you can get started. And it makes me think of learning to do something for the first time. And when I was just a tiny little Grace, I learned how to ride a bike. And I'm the youngest. There's some things that happen when you're the youngest. And the majority of those are your siblings love to also be your parents and teach you things, which is great. I feel like I learned a lot and I also... Did not learn a lot because of that situation, and it's fine, and I'm okay with it, and I love being the youngest. I will own it. Um, and practically everyone that meets me wants to say, oh, I could tell you're the youngest, and I take that as a compliment. I get it. I'm spoiled. <laughs> it's fine. I know. And what happened is my sister one summer was like, Grace, do you want to learn how to ride a bike with me? Like, do you want me to teach you how to ride a bike? And I was like, yes. And I just had like a little, like, um, what are those called? Training wheels. I had a yeah. training wheel bike. And she's like, listen, it's not even hard. I can teach you how to ride a bike without training wheels. And I said, perfect, great. I had to have been so tiny. And she's like, this is the trick. You just have to protect yourself in case you fall down. And she says, I know exactly what we're going to use. Mm. And I said, okay, I can't wait. And she goes to the winter clothes bin. It is July, you guys. It is the <laughs> middle of July in Utah. It's 100 million degrees outside. She is digging through the winter snow bin. She finds my, I still remember it so clearly. I wish I still owned it. It was this pink jumper that like was your, it was like a jumpsuit. So it was like from your toes to your wrists of a snowsuit. And it was pink, the like cutest because color of pink ever. And it was puffy, just puffy as could be. I looked like the Michelin man. I was ginormous. And she said, listen, if you just wear this, then if you fall, you won't get hurt. You're going to be fine. So just put this on. Then you can learn to do something new. You're going to learn to ride your bike. I had to have been getting heat stroke. It's fine. No problem. I just put that right on. I said, teach me how to ride my bike without training wheels. And that is really how I learned. I, and it was fine. And in my head, I was like, if I fall down, I'm going to be fine because at least I'm safe. I've got bounce my, right up. Yeah, I've got my Michelin suit on. I'm going to be okay. And I really did. She taught me how to ride my bike and it worked out and I can still ride a bike today. And it feels like the beginning of this chapter is doing the same thing. It's giving us a snowsuit to learn how to be a disciple, to learn how to walk the covenant path. And what happens in verse number two, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days when the mountain of the Lord's house, the Lord's house automatically makes you think about the temple. Mountain is a similar word that when you read that instantly with symbolism, and it's going to lead you to the temple. And the rest of the verse is going to explain that more. Shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Exalted makes me instantly think about the temple as well. And mountains and hills have that symbolism of going up to represent the Lord's house. Yeah. Did you, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything more. No, I just was really intrigued by the fact that all nations shall flow unto it. Um, almost naturally. 
Uh, I was thinking that when I read the word flow too. Yeah, and it's just like, and usually rivers don't flow up, but they are in, in this one. And something's intriguing all nations about the temple, which means somebody's explained it really well. In a way that they just naturally want to go there. I want to be there. I long to be there. Because you look at the description and it should feel like a no-brainer, all, all of this in here. When you learn about what it actually is, you're just like, oh. So sometimes there's some, probably some like cultural uh, baggage around it or something or um, whatever it is. But it's just like, wait, when, if you could explain what the temple actually is. In fact, I love that it says, well... I'll just say this, and maybe no, you're going to keep Go, going, but good. in the next verse, we're going to call it the house, of, the house of God, and it's written on our temples, the house of the Lord, because what if we simply understood it as that? What if, it, what if we stopped calling it temple and started calling it the house of God? Like I say, Grace's house, or Emily's house, or David's house, where I, I know I'm a friend, where I know I'm welcomed, and I know what I can expect, and I know that there's going to be conversation and there's going to be welcome and there's going to be hospitality what just to call even to call it his house feels like an inviting his house what i like think there's one of the most special nights of my life recently was one night i got home late and i just walked to the temple i didn't know what you're gonna say and because i saw it on your stories it, and it, i texted you right away it was my best night ever and i watched and i sat down and i sat down it was like it was late it was the temple was not open nothing was open and i sat down on the like front porch of the temple and when i sat down i instantly thought Oh, I'm so glad that I could come to God's front porch tonight. Mm. And my conversation with him on his front porch was different than any conversation I've had before because my heart loves front porch conversations where you sit down and you have nowhere to be and you can stay as late as you want. And I love that God has a front porch and it really is the front of the temple. Go sit in his front porch. And if you want to go inside and sit in his kitchen and talk a little bit longer, perfect. He has that too. There's a little living room, which is so nice. Also, if you're listening and you're in charge of the temple department, may we make a suggestion? Let's get some rocking chairs right there <laughs> on that front porch. Let's like, so come you on, can like, stay can a while. We, can we get a swing? Yes. Can we get See, a, a porch know? swing? He does, and he has a wraparound porch with a swing, and it's fine. It's <laughs> Listen, good. I, the Salt Lake Temple's under construction, so <laughs> yes. like, there's a, maybe there's, there's something in here that, that we can talk about. And what happens in the next verse is he's going to explain the reason for the temple, why we need it. And he says, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. Mm. The purpose of a temple is to show you what it looks like to live a covenant life, Mm. to show you what it looks like to be a disciple. And my favorite part of these two verses is thinking that sometimes learning something new is really difficult. Learning how to live a covenant life to begin with, to start, is tricky. It's tricky to learn how to ride a bike. I needed an entire snowsuit. That is, I was so scared. And sometimes learning to live a covenant life, learning to live the life of a disciple can be scary. And you're not sure where to start, and you're going to mess up, and you're going to slip off the bike a few times, and you're going to say, oh no, I this isn't working. Like I thought this was going to be easier than it actually is, and now I'm kind of struggling. And I love that God said, wait, wait, wait. I prepared a safe place for you to learn. Yeah. I have created an area. I have created my home to be somewhere where you can go to learn how to live a covenant life, to learn how I live, to learn the path that I have walked in a safe place. 
The world is going to be messy and crazy and everything underneath the mountain could be falling apart and it's going to be really difficult to learn how to live that kind of life down there. But I've created a place for you to come and learn how I live. Um, This has got me thinking, are you going to do something with verse 5? No, you can. Oh, because if you are, I I just want you to. But this is where it's make because I want to connect it to something in verse 3 where it's interesting that he says, this is the house of the God of Jacob. And I want to say, of all the people that you picked, why did you call yourself the God of Jacob? Because if you remember Jacob's story from the Old Testament, he has a name change later on to Israel. And he's named Israel kind of when he's got it figured out, right? Where, where he gets his life put together. He's, a, he's really messy leading up to that moment. And so it would make you think that who God would want to claim is Israel and who God would want to invite are the people who've got their lives put together and and figured out. But I'm intrigued by the fact that he calls it, this is the house of the God of Jacob. Come here if you have a Jacob type of life. Come here if you haven't quite figured things out yet. Come here if you're still wrestling. That's the story with Jacob. He wrestles with God. This would be a great place to come in your developmental years. This would be a great place to show up if, if you need to work some things out, if you need some correction, if you need some advice, if you need some, some guidance. And I love that kind of rebrand of my house is a place where you come to learn, uh, to change, uh, to be encouraged, uh, to find how to walk in the light. Because um, he says in verse 5, you, you've all gone astray and everyone is walking in their wicked ways. So the invitation is, come here and let me show you how to walk in the light instead. And you're going to be safe yeah, while you learn. You can learn. Yeah, yes, yeah. I'm going to make sure that when you fall and you slip and it's tricky and you're so scared that you don't have to be scared anymore. You don't have to be afraid because I've created a safe place for you to learn. It's really cool. I will teach you. What happens at the Everyone end of Everyone needs a, a pic of you in that thing. Do you have I an know, old pic? Did somebody I take one? I'm learning to ride my bike. <laughs> what happens at the end of this chapter is also really interesting because it's going to describe a group of people that, in my head, when they were learning, they kind of slipped. And it was tricky and they didn't let, and it was just, it got a little bit messy for them. And what happens in verse number 10 is that they decide to hide. And I think, for me at least, I hide for a lot of different reasons. Because I'm ashamed, because I'm embarrassed, because I'm afraid, because I don't want to own up to something, because you fill in the blank of the reasons that you hide. And what happens directly after that is you get this group of people that hide. Who knows for why? It's going to give you a few reasons. You can fill in the blanks for yourself in your own head. But what's going to happen is Jesus is going to come. The Lord's going to come. And it's going to tell you where he comes in verse 14. And upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills and upon all the nations which are lifted up and upon every people and upon every high tower and upon every fenced wall and upon all the ships of the sea. And it's so interesting to me that he's going to say they're going to hide, but the Lord is going to be in all the right places to find you. He will go as high as he needs to go. He will go on every single tower. He is going to be everywhere to make sure that he can find you. You don't need to hide from him. Mm. Isaiah is not going to describe a God that you need to hide from. He's going to describe a God that's going to come find you. 
that no one is too far gone, no one is too far lost. I will be everywhere you need me to be to find you. And I have created places for you to learn and to grow, not because I think you're going to be perfect, but because I know you're going to slip up sometimes and I want you to be safe. Yeah. So that's our tender mercy for the week. Oh. Is the house of the Lord. So if you have, or if you're following along with our tender mercies, the temple is going to be ours. You can stick it on your little calendar, and it's so cute, and you're just going to love it. Right. That he gave us a place, place, all those things. And then end of 14 is going to even add more reasons why, um, it, how and why it can become a, um, such a gift and a tender mercy. The end of that chapter that you're in, and then into 13, and um, beginning of 14, is kind of going to talk about what happens to those people who do rebel. Um, against him. Uh, uh, he explains at the beginning of 13, uh, just this is, this is what happens when people walk in their own ways, um, which usually is a, a phrase of talking about like their selfish ways. Um, words like lust and greed and envy and just, it, it just doesn't go well. When you multiply the selfishness of people across a whole nation and across time, you just get this chaos. And that's, uh, chaos came out really weird, but that's the way he's kind of describing it, where he's just like, you, you're, you're going to get to a time where you're going to have kids who are your rulers because everybody else is not even going to do it anymore. In fact, in verse six, it says, there'll be someone who says, oh, I have some clothes. Maybe I can be the ruler. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of, he's just kind of showing like how backwards everybody is. Like, why is there nobody who can lead us in, in moral and good ways? Like, where, where are they? Where are all, where are all the people? You know, I think actually today we have just as many silly reasons for picking people to be our idols and pe- picking people to be our mentors. You know, the people that we choose are, we, you know, it's, it's just yeah. as messed up, right? Verse eight, for Jerusalem's ruined <laughs> and Judah is fallen. And this way, and this is why, because their tongues and their doings have been against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. They picked a fight with him. They deliberately are going against him is what's happening here. The show of their countenance doth witness against him and they can't hide it. He describes them like Sodom. He says, but this is an interesting line at the end of nine. Woe unto their souls for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. And this is again, you see this throughout scripture again and again and again. And sometimes it's used in a little bit um, thicker imagery, but this seems to explain it really well. It's, it, you rewarded unto yourself. Like what is coming to you what the scriptures might call the judgment of God is a natural consequence to the way you have decided to live and to treat each other. And, and then he says, again, in verse 11, the reward of their hands shall be upon them. And the biggest issue that the Lord seems to have with these people is in verse 15. He says, what mean ye? You beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts. That's a thing that is, kindling his anger the most here is the way that they're treating other people which is the tenderest lesson about who god is right though i'm so but i'm not you know like i'm not bothered that you broke the rules of the game but it's like the way you're treating people you're grinding the poor and the neglected and the outcast you're pushing them further and further out and that is what breaks his heart, and that is why he wants to intervene. Anytime he's going to intervene, it's going to be a rescue mission for people. And if, it's a, if, it, if he has to rescue them from people, then he's going to rescue people from 
people. people. Um, and he's just got the wisdom, by the way, and the omniscience and the heart to be able to rescue the oppressed and the oppressors at the same time. And how beautiful that you can fit into either category and know he's going to rescue you. Right. So he talks about, he's going to use this imagery that you're probably familiar with. And this is, this is our worksheet that's in for this week. It looks like this. <laughs> and it's awesome because this kind of gives you a chance to like draw out the imagery. So you have a paper here that you could do it. On the board, I redrew them um, on here so they could be a little bit bigger, by the way, so that we could kind of show you what this might look like when you're done. But he's going to describe what he calls the daughters of Zion. Now, Keep in mind, he's most likely talking about the daughters of Zion are a personification of just the entire people. Uh, all throughout scripture, uh, the Lord does this. Where, but it could actually, I just don't think it's talking about specific girls and specific things. Um, but just kind of a personification of all people. And he describes what they look like. And it could be fun if you are teaching a class or with your family or even as you're studying this on your own to just kind of draw this out as you, as you like listen to it. Um, so in like starting in verse 16 and grace, you, you, read, the reader? Yeah, you read 16 okay. and then skip to 18 and then I'm going to, you just go fast and I'm going to sort of draw it. Okay. Um, they walk with stretched forth necks. Look, she already has a long neck. You don't have to look, but. And, <laughs> and listen, this word I want to say is wonton and I know it's not that, but. It's you just, just want wonton hungry. soup. <laughs> so How do you actually Wanton. Wanton eyes. I didn't know what that word meant. All I could um, think about was eating. A wanton eyes are kind of like unsatisfied with where I am. So if you would talk about a, a girl who's unsatisfied in her marriage relationship, she'll have wanton eyes for other boys. Like she's oh. kind of always looking. Okay, that's a good explanation. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Now we can keep going. I'm going to make her eyes wanton. <laughs> walking, and, eyes. walking and mincing as they go. Oh, mincing. And making a tinkling with their feet. <laughs> um, they will. Their tinkling comes from ornaments and cowls and round tires like the moon. The chains and the bracelets and the mufflers. The bonnets and the... Am I going too fast for you? No, that's great. The bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings and the rings and the nose jewels and the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. We'll give you a little break right there. And it shall come to pass, instead of sweet smell okay, there. Okay, that's the oh. first lady. <laughs> no, something that you might want to do when you read those for a class is go to a different translation of the Bible, the NIV, or use yeah. like Bible Hub or something like that so you can see what the calls and the moons and the crisping pins you know, are um, so that you can see that. So obviously when you see this person, um, if you're not seeing it, uh, Go come imagine back. It, yeah, yeah, imagine. It's, it's just a, it's a mess. And you just saw it. And, and there's this idea of this excess of this um, daughter of Zion. She seems to be just obsessed with her outward appearance. And I noticed this word today when I was studying. And I, okay, so obviously the Lord wants, has something against excess, right? Where you just be careful of excess. Um, and I don't think he's, I think if we get caught up on it being clothes and jewelry and stuff like that, we'll miss what the point is because he's not necessarily talking about specifically clothes and jewelry. I take off all my with it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you like think about like, Oh, uh, if, like you want to look at the temple and you're like, that's got really fine things in it. It's got full of nice couches and windows and mirrors. And you would say like, Oh, okay, hold on. It's like, but the question then is what's the difference between what you might call the excess in a temple and the excess on this person is what's your purpose for it? 
And I noticed this word in verse 18 where it says, in that day, the Lord's going to take away the bravery of all of those things. There's something about all of those things that are giving them their confidence. And it seems to be a commentary on what is it that you're clothing yourself? What are you hiding behind? What's giving you your confidence, your bravery? If you look at kind of the... Um, uh, the meaning of that word, it comes from this root word to boast or this to explain oneself, which I think mm. is really interesting that you're just like, I, I want to be adorned and covered in all of these things. And it made me, where's my yellow pad of, that I love so much. Oh. Just, Oh, there you are over there. I just wrote this down as I was studying, um, these questions that I, it just kind of, your clothes usually reflect kind of your status and your values and your priorities. And it just made me think like questions. He's like, where do I get my worth? Um, this one, what really is important to me? This seems to be the focus of these people. And whose attention do I want? Um, the Lord will compare usually the daughters of Zion, the daughter of Jerusalem to a bride adorned and faithful and loyal to her husband, the bridegroom, Jesus. And this woman seems to be trying to get the attention of something else. The what God, the relationship with God, she doesn't think is going to satisfy her. So she's trying to get it through some other something else. Which is interesting that the first thing that they describe is wandering ice. Right. What is everyone else doing? Where is everyone else getting this? Fulfillment, satisfaction. Yeah. And some, some, what's giving her confidence is all of, in this particular, all of her clothes. But all of us can answer that. Like, what is it that gives me my confidence? Is it um, uh, uh, what my house looks like? Is it my job? Is it the vacations I go on? I'm not against any of those things. The question is, am I getting my identity, my values? Are those the things that are really important to Am I me? hiding behind it? And you can't I, even see her. Right. Am I hiding behind those things? And it comes back to like we were talking about with hiding and it made me think about Adam and Eve running and hiding from the Lord mm-hmm. and trying to cover themselves in something else. The, the root problem is not what they were choosing to cover themselves. It's like that you were trying to cover up something. What is it you're trying to hide behind? And I love that all throughout scripture, we, we hear phrases like one of my favorites is in Colossians that we read last year, chapter three, verses 12 where we learn about being clothed in the virtues of Christ, being clothed in the name of Christ, being clothed in the grace of, of Christ. Um, there, Colossians 3.12, if I said that too fast, might be a great one that you want to like, hey, instead of you know, adorning yourself with all of, all of this, maybe um, something else. But one other thought I wanted to say with this person because of this idea of excess, I thought to myself, why, why is it that the Lord is... Um, there's, there's a sense of excess here and there's a sense of like self. Like I'm really, really interested in myself. And the problem with that is that you're not interested in God and you're not interested in other people. If your obsession with these other things is now causing you to neglect and, and starting to cause you to treat other people um, terribly, that seems to be the issue. Now, what happens is he says, I'm going to take all of that away. All of those things are going to be gone. All of those things leave one day. They're just temporary. And what's left, it says in 24, and you can draw Which this even second lady. you just lady. want to pause there just for a second and think, that's dangerous to put your confidence in something that's so fleeting. Yeah. That's a really interesting idea for me in my head. That, oh, 
do I want all my confidence to be in something that can be taken away? So yeah, quickly. yeah. So um, then we can read verse 24. And what do they look like in 24? As it says, instead of a sweet smell, there will be like a stink. Will you read that, Grace? Oh, so yeah. I can just... Um, and instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. Okay. And instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth. Burning instead of beauty. Okay, she's on fire. This is sad. Okay. <laughs> she is sad. <laughs> right? Um, none of these things can protect you. Uh, none of these things can give you confidence. And he said, like, this is what, this is what they're going to um, be left with. And they're going to beg for help. And they're going to beg. It goes into 14. And it's like, we'll take anyone. Any, uh, somebody just help us out. Like, we, like seven people will try and take one man. He's like, just take care of us and, and, and look after us. And then it's interesting. He says, in that day, verse 2, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth excellent to them that are escaped. And it came to pass that they that are left in Zion and remain in Jerusalem shall be called holy, every one of them. Then verse 4 is our, your third lady. That when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the Spirit, um, the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day um, and a shining flaming fire by night. And for all... I can't even read. For upon all the glory of Zion shall be a defense. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and a, for a place of refuge and a covert from the storm and from rain. And you might, someone might just like draw, you know, onto this one. Just say, here she is protected, you know, in a different sense, like covered and clothed in the refuge of, of the Lord. And remember that fire and the smoke and the fire were things that led them and guided them. Um, through and it just seem, kind of seems to be like those who trust in these things that are fleeting and temporary like this is the end result and the Lord is saying be clothed in me be clothed in my protection and under the wings of 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 my mercy and and grace and even if you did this for a minute and found yourself here you can be washed and 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 brought in anyways and that's our word for the week is refuge that the Lord provides us a refuge. And it's, I, I like that it's a refuge in a storm and in the rain, not from them, uh, not like taking away the rain and taking away the storm is what I mean by that. Um, or taking away the wilderness. There will be a wilderness, but I'll be a guide and a shadow for you in the heat. And there, and there will be um, confusion, but I'll guide you. And there will be a storm, but I'll give you a cover and a protection from those things. And I like that we'll be able to have this word up uh, throughout the week and be thinking about how he's a shelter and a protection from danger or distress or calamity. That he's a stronghold, a sanctuary, a place of safety because of its sacredness. And any place that's inaccessible to an enemy. Mm. Like, that's such a rad line that's in there. Too. That's why you can so, be brave. Yeah. Is because, oh, you're safe, don't worry. Yes. You can get your confidence from what you own and what you have and what you wear, or you can get your confidence from the protection and, and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of, of the Lord. You can be clothed in Him. You can be clothed in His promises. You can be clothed in His love. You can be clothed in His mercy and his in His attributes. I, I, I mean, I, I think... It probably goes without saying that 
I get to enter into the world. One of the great privileges of my life that came from the temple is the holy garment. And I get to enter into the storms and the wilderness of life clothed in the bravery and confidence of Jesus and all of those things that I just listed. I get to face whatever I face tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, but in the morning I'll be clothed in the grace and the promises and the protection and the love of the Father and the Son. And I'll face the day um, in, in that. And it makes me feel like I can face the day in confidence because of it. And it makes me just want to think really quickly. If that's something that you are struggling with, confidence and where you're placing your bravery in, it makes me just want to think, change your focus. If you're looking around at what everyone else has and what you can cover yourself up with and hide all these insecurities and doubts to make yourself a little bit more brave, learn more about him. Mm-hmm. and his grace, and his forgiveness, and his love, and his kindness. The more you learn about him, the more you study that, the more you'll be thinking about it, the more it will change the way you live. That can be your bravery. Yeah, You can change, you can grow. Yeah. That's tricky. I'm still learning to do that right now yeah. in my life. Yeah. And I love that it just makes me want to think, what am I thinking about in the day? And am I thinking about what more I can have to cover up my insecurities and my flaws and my like what I'm nervous about? Or am I thinking about who he is mm. and how that changed the way I live? It's awesome. Okay, we have a couple more sections left and we'll try and spend a lot of time on those. But let's just wrap up with some of, of these. Is the 15? Okay. Yes, 15. 2 Nephi 15 is the next section. We're calling it Help is on the Way. What's going to happen, verse number one, you have to start here. You can't even help it. You have to highlight this too. Is because verse number, chapter number 15 is a love song to you from God. That's what it feels like. And then will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved. This is going to be about being beloved. And were you about to say something or are you just having a big breath? I was having a big breath. Okay, I could tell you were about to get so excited. I said, like, okay, great. I was excited that it was a love song. I was like, <laughs> okay, especially on this Valentine's Day. So true, so yeah. fitting. And he's going to explain this story. And it's going to be all about a vineyard and a gardener. And he's going to start out talking and it's going to be the Lord's vineyard. And you need to keep that in mind from the beginning when you start in verse number two, because I learned more than anything else in this entire chapter. I learned the most about the keeper of the vineyard. I learned the most Mm -hmm. about the Lord. And verse number two, I could spend 18 hours studying this and this alone. And he's going to say, listen, my well-beloved... Oh, first of all, who loves that he's going to call the Lord that? Has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and he gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it makes me just want to pause before you even go any further, and highlight everything that God did there. He fenced it. He gathered out the stones thereof. He planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the middle of it. And he made a wine press therein. And for me, when I was studying this, I, in my journal, wrote out every single one of those. And I forgot about the vineyard for a second. And I thought about my life. And what does that look like? What do you learn about who God is because of this? Because I learned that he is going to protect me with a fence. He is going to give me an area where he's going to say, you are safe here. He is going to gather out all of the stones. He is going to make it a nice place. He is going to get rid of things that seem to be stopping my growth, Hmm. which sometimes is hard and makes me not like 
the keeper of the vineyard as much as I want until I remember the big picture. He's going to get rid of the things that make it hard for you to grow. He is going to plant it with the choicest vine. He is going to give you his very best. That's what I learned about him there. And he'll build a tower in the middle of it so he can keep watch over you all of the time. So he can see everything, Mm. not just the tiniest part. He will see the big picture. That is who is helping you grow. And it's cool that it, that that tower is built in the midst of it, in verse two. And that's where he wants to choose. That's where he to wants be. to be. I want to put my tower. I'm going to oh. oversee you from the middle of the garden, not from. So you the just have to stop, and you might just want to have a discussion about what does this look like in the vineyard, and what does this look like in real life. Mm-hmm. You will learn a lot about him if you do that. And what happens is at the end of this verse, it's going to say. I, he built this to bring forth good grapes and what came instead were wild grapes. And in the most heartfelt verse of all time in verse number four, he's going to say, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? I gave this vineyard my all. I worked more than I've ever worked. I have done everything I possibly could have for this vineyard, which teaches you so much about God in my margin. I would just write, he is going to give his all for me. That Mm -hmm. is such a powerful phrase. And then what's going to happen is the vineyard falls apart. The wild grapes grow and he realizes they are just going to do their own thing. And this is a mess and people will rebel and it's going to fall apart and it's going to be a disaster. And you start to see that what he was the most proud of, what he was so thrilled to do, the vineyard didn't care about it. I said, I don't, this is not my, I don't even mind. This is a mess. I don't even, I'm going to do whatever I want and it's going to be a disaster. And in verse 12, I think this explains the majority of the chapter and the rebellion very well. They regard not the work of the Lord. Hmm. They forgot what he was doing in their life. Yeah. They forgot the role. They forgot that Jesus really did give them everything. And he was in the midst of them. And he was trying to build the best life for them and help them grow. They forgot about that. They didn't care what he was doing for them. And it's interesting because I feel that in my own life and in my own heart. And I see it everywhere I look. And it really has become a messy vineyard. And there's wild grapes and there's rebellion and there's a disaster. But the end of the chapter ends with the most hopeful call. And it's going to say that in, it starts in verse number 26. And he, the Lord, will lift up an ensign to the nations from far. He is going to call out. He is going to give a signal. He is going to say, hey, I need help. Gather in, come, meet me in the vineyard, meet me in the mess. This is where I need you. And will hiss unto them from the end of the earth. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary nor stumble among them. He is going to call an army that is going to come quickly. And in verse 27, it is an army that is ready. They will not slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed nor the latchet of their shoes be broken. They are ready to help. They are entering into the fight ready and happy and thrilled whose arrows shall be sharp and their bows bent and they are roaring like a lion. And I love in verse 29 when it says they shall roar like a young lion, one with energy, one that is excited, one that's thrilled to be a part of something like this. And when I read this, It makes me so excited and I love, I'm biased. I love that it says a young lion because it makes me think of all my seminary kids that are so thrilled to be part of the fight for right. That are so thrilled to be fighting for 
good reason and joining in to a cause that is bringing goodness to the world. Mm. They're stepping in and saying, yes, I want to be a part of making lives better. I want to be a part of introducing the mess and the disaster and the sadness to someone who can fix it. I want to be a part of that fight. And it's not just that you have to be old. It's just that you have to be ready. Mm. And it makes me just want to think that there is a messy vineyard and things are falling apart. And Jesus said he would give it his all. And then he's going to look and say, please come and help me. And help really is going to be on the way. For me, for you, we can stand up and be the help. We can know that help is coming. He planned for a mess. He said, listen, I will give this my all. But in the end, I know that help is on the way. You know, and this is, this is true in an individual person's life. Whatever, maybe during their teen years, you know, they, uh, they push God away and their life turned into a mess. And then they can expect that later on, God's going to call people for the help, for the restoration of it. Um, so it happens individually, then it happens over a long... Sp- and this is where those tips at the beginning, like living in the latter days, this is the time period that we live in. The God's covenant people like pushed him away. He, he tried to create everything choice for him. They pushed him away. And he just let things take their consequences because that was the best way to learn. And he says, mm. but I'll be back to restore that vineyard. And to live in the time period of verse 26 through 29, to be called to be the help that are going to, you know, I just, I want, I, I want to phrase with something with that roaring. It's like, time, like, you know, like, it's like, reason, it's like working in my brain right now. It's just like, it's time to roar. You and know? run. Like, yeah. And run. I love that it quickly. fills when you read this with speed, swiftly run to help people. Yeah. Do not wait. Just be ready always to run to people. Yeah. And it's not hard to find the people who need reminders of who mm-hmm. Jesus is. And it's not hard to find situations that you can breathe hope into and encouragement and, and show a better way. Like there are just so many of them there that just the opportunities to, and it's time, it's time. The signal's been sent out. Let's start, um, um, man, bringing about restoration for people, reminding them of, of promise, you know, showing them that they can move back on those pictures from, you might feel like this burnt, stinky person, but you, but you don't have to be. You can be this, you know? There's just so much that's really, really cool about that. Um, chapter 16 is, is Isaiah's sort of call into that, um, where you get a little bit personal with him, where he um, is called to be a part of that work of, of restoration. And he has this experience in the temple. And this might be what Nephi was talking about, where the time that he saw the Lord. But there's something neat about this because he goes into this temple, this holy place, and in it are these seraphim. And these are fire angels. That's how that's translated, verse 2. And they have wings and power and, and can move. And he cries and, they hear, and he hears them in verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And everything's shaking with that glory. And then in verse 5, he says, Woe is unto me, for I am undone. I should not be here. I don't belong here. I don't feel worthy to be in this place. You've got the wrong guy, is what he says, essentially. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And symbolically, he's kind of saying all of my sin and, and shortcomings are in my lips. Because I'm in a people of unclean lips um, and I'm seeing the king, the Lord of hosts and and I, I, I really do not belong with with mm-hmm. him or in this work that Grace was just talking about. And then in verse six, one of the seraphim, the flying angels, comes unto me with a live coal in his hand. And then you think it's about to be a horror film because here's this fire <laughs> angel and he's flying with a live coal at him. And maybe <laughs> his initial thought is, 
well, I'm about to get what I deserve. I'm about to be burned up and, and I should be. And he comes in and he lays that coal on his mouth and his, um, in, in his, on his lips. Remember, that's what he said was um, this kind of the symbol of his, of his sin and shortcomings. And he was, and it says, your iniquity is taken away and your sins are purged. And then in verse eight, he says, here's a voice saying, whom shall I send? And then Isaiah raises his hand and verse eight says, here am I, send me. These are words that are going to remind you of this, the same words that the Savior said. He, he's, he's speaking like the Savior now. Um, because symbolically he's being called to the Savior's work. And he's got this confidence now. And he's ready to go. And he's like, oh me. A couple verses ago he wanted to hide. He wanted to run away. He felt like he shouldn't be there. And then here he is, like just a totally different, different person. And the thing that happened in between them was an encounter with... Um, what I like to call just the white hot love of God. Uh, altars in ancient temples symbolized the sacrifice of the only begotten. They were symbols of the atoning gift of Jesus Christ. And that coal comes from it, that hot burning coal that just, that, that can burn away the, the deepest, darkest troubles and, and sin. And it touches his lips and he has this encounter with the forgiving gracious, white-hot love of God, and now everything will be different. And he's a different person, and he's ready to be engaged. And I, chapter 16 so hopeful to me. You can switch so fast. And um, it also gives me a way of thinking about the world that, oh, what people need to start thinking differently about God and themselves is an encounter with that white-hot love mm. of the Father and the Son. They need to encounter forgiveness. They need to encounter grace. They need to encounter mercy. They need to encounter empowerment by them. And then they become different and they become ready to engage and perhaps invite other people to experience the same. When you experience something as life-changing as Jesus Christ himself, you cannot help but want to help other people experience it too. Amen. You have to. Amen. 17, I'll just give a, a, one little thought in 17 uh, for the whole chapter. Um, I want you, it's kind of a history lesson a little bit. So again, <laughs> some of those tips from Isaiah where we're learning. Um, take a screenshot of this, or of course, this is on the app always. All these things are on the app if you ever want them. Um, there's a lot of names in here, and you just have to know he's calling them by either their country name, their king's name, He's a descendant of David or the capital city. So it'd be kind of like me <laughs> saying, if I'm on. talking about the United States, I might be like, oh, the United States. Or I'll say, oh, you know, the United States did this. Or Washington, D.C. did this. Or Joe Biden did this. Or like you're just kind of talking. And, and everyone knows what it means. Yeah, if you live if in that there. time period. Yeah. And so what's happening is Judah and Israel, these are the two kingdoms that were split back in the Old Testament times, remember. And two of the tribes down south and 10 tribes up north. Um, these tribes up north, Israel, have linked up with Syria in a, just a, a, what do you call it, a treaty with each other because they're afraid of Assyria. And they're trying to get Judah to join with them to fight against Assyria altogether. If all three of us will fight altogether, we can do that. And Judah won't do it. So now they've got this scheme to take out the king of Judah and replace him with someone that will and this is kind of this crazy political situation going on. And so in the midst of all of that, Isaiah, it says in verse 3, goes, the Lord sends him to go talk to the king of Judah, Ahaz. 
and to tell him, don't join in with the treaties and don't do anything to bug Assyria, essentially. So he gives him this advice. He had access to the king. And this is the, an actual story that was going on back then. And then Isaiah says, in fact, let me give you a sign that that's what is really going to happen. And the sign you're going to be familiar with, it's in verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give unto you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. But before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose the good, those two kings are going to fall and Assyria is going to attack them. So the sign is this baby is going to be born. And before that baby's old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, like the, there's going to be a war and attack. So don't get involved. Don't be a part of it. Well, he doesn't listen and he goes and he's a part of it anyways. And then the rest of the chapter just talks about what the effects of that are going to be for them. And what I really love about this chapter is um, this is called a dualistic prophecy where Isaiah is probably talking about some child that's going to be born in that time pretty soon after. So, that, you know, almost a way of saying in a couple years from now, um, this is going to happen. So that's going to be your sign is the timing. But obviously that's a prophecy that you recognize as uh, a prophecy of, of Jesus. And I like that verse 14, almost smack dab in the middle of it, of the trouble that's happening and the trouble from your own, the trouble from other people at the beginning of the chapter and the trouble from yourself at the end of the chapter. And in the middle of that comes Jesus. And we learn something about him in that middle verse, that he came and comes right into the middle of life's messes. That he doesn't wait for it to all cleaned up, but he sees a problem and says, I need to jump in there. And he jumps right into the middle of the problems we create for ourselves and the problems that other people create for us. And the name that he's given is Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew name that we love so much that means God with us. That we learn something about him that he says, I'm going to come right into the middle and I'm going to be with you like that tower in the midst of the vineyard in the middle of the messes that, um, that you create. I, I have a rescue mission and I'm going to come right into the middle of them, is what he says. Hmm. The last section of reading for this week is 2 Nephi 18 and 19. And it's going to start in a world under attack. That's the setting for this chapter is what David just explained, that history lesson of fighting and wars and enemies and so many things. And I think it's so fascinating. And, and, and let me just add one thing about yeah. that, that people felt it and they knew it. They woke up every morning thinking we could be attacked at any time. The economy could collapse any day. We don't trust any of our leaders. We don't know where to go and what to do. We, they are in a constant state of just this like, Panic and worry and, and confusion is, is where they are. And it's so interesting because it would be so easy to be so afraid of what's happening. You should be. Like, it makes sense that you would be terrified waking up every single morning. Yeah, good thing we don't have to deal with that today. <laughs> like, it makes it, I actually feel so... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, wow. You're like, okay. That's like, I don't have to wake up and worry about. <laughs> As I was describing it, I was like... You're scared. You're already my scared. It's my life. To live in a world like that. <laughs> and what is so interesting to me is verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself 
and let him be your fear and let him be your dread, which seems weird. Like you're like, what in the world? Why is that happening? But in my margin next to that, I just wrote, stop being so afraid of what's going on around you. Stop caring more about what is going on around you and care more about him. Mm. Your worries should not be about everything going on out there. You should be worried about your relationship with him. Because once you know where you stand with him, you will wake up and the world around you could be crashing and burning and you will feel peace. Yeah, that co- the refuge. Yes. The covert from the storm. And it made me think, let me just say this no, now no, no, before go. I forget, that that name, Lord of Hosts, another way to translate that, it shows up several times throughout these chapters, is the God of Angel Armies. So you might want to write that in the margin every time you see the Lord of hosts. That's what he means. He is the God of angel armies. Let that overwhelm you. Let that bring in a sense of like, like it will almost look like fear. And angels do that initially. That's why they have to say fear not every time they come. Because it's like, <laughs> you're a little bit well, <laughs> your presence is, is a little bit dreadful. You know, yep. like Isaiah in the temple. Whoa, this is a little much yep. for me. And then when you find out you're welcome here and I'm on your side, like let, I love that. Let that consume you and overwhelm your emotions and yes. thoughts. It will change the way you wake up in the morning. Mm. And he's going to say, and this verse almost seems a little bit confusing too. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel and for a gin and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And it's so interesting to me. It makes me want to think what could have been a solid foundation is instead what they trip over. Mm. That in itself, I just want to think about for so long. He is giving you the chance to have a solid foundation, but you might accidentally trip over it. And what happens in verse 15 is many do. They stumble and they fall and they're broken and snared and taken. And you can feel that. When you think about those words and you think about not just what they mean physically, but what that could mean spiritually and emotionally and mentally, you feel that they fall and they stumble and they're broken and they're snared up and they're taken. You know what that feels like. You know the things that are causing that in life right now as well. Not just in this world under attack, but in our own lives under attack. And in verse 16, it describes binding up the testimony. And for me, that just wins my heart that he's saying, listen, you don't need the full thing. Just pick up all your pieces, whatever you have, whatever you're believing in, bind those up, put them together. That will be enough. And maybe there's some broken pieces and some pieces that don't seem to match the full puzzle. Don't worry. Just take what you have. Bind it all together. That's going to be your start. Get yourself put back together. And in verse 17, he says, And I will wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. And that changed how I read chapter 18 and 19. I will look for him. I circled that one million times. Because what's going to happen is you're going to see in verse 22 that there were people that didn't look for him. And they shall look unto the earth and be and behold trouble and darkness and dimness and shall be driven to darkness. That's easy to do. It is easy to live a life looking for trouble and darkness and danger and looking at anguish and looking at all of the dark and terrible things. And the more you look at it, you will be driven there. You will live your life in that area. And I love that the warning before comes and says, listen, I'm going to look at him instead. 
I know there's going to be darkness and trouble and a disaster. I'm choosing to look for him. And you see that happen in verse 2 of chapter 19. Because the people that were in darkness, living in that exact same world as the ones driven to darkness, the ones that were in that exact darkness, have seen a great light. They saw it. They changed what they were looking at. And all of a sudden, what's going to happen when they see that? That's verse 2. Yeah, verse 2 in 19. Upon them that hath the light shined, this part, in a world of darkness and disaster, they increased the joy. Hmm. They found something new. And what it is, the joy before thee, according to the joy in harvest, and as men when they divide the spoil, something so good you can't even believe it, the end, the reward, the goodness... What's going they're going to see is a yoke that was broken, the burden gone, and everything their oppressor, the disaster, the hardships, the mess disappeared because verse number six, because a child was born, a son was given, like a gift. The yeah. government shall be upon his shoulders, and you will know him, and he will be called wonderful counselor the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. If you are living in a world of darkness, look for him. Look for wonder and look for counsel. Look for the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. The more you look for him, the more you will find him and it will increase your joy in a world of darkness. Look for him, find him. Yeah. And I like this in the journal, this question that just at the end, where it just, when has the Lord been those things? Wonderful. When's he been a counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of, of peace? Something that you notice in Isaiah is he keeps going back and forth, right? Where he's just describing um, both prophecy and the world around him, where he's just mm. like, this is what's happening as people are pushing away the protective power of the Lord. This is what happens when they reject it and rely on their own strength. They're just not strong enough. And there is danger and darkness in this world. And it has the potential to overcome and to confuse and to break down. Like it, There are two opposing forces in the world. And if you reject the protective force and power in the world, then all that's left is both our own selfishness and what we would do to each other. Mm-hmm. And just that the, the evil force can just take over like, like thorns in a garden. It really can. But then you just keep seeing a reminder to people that of Emmanuel, of a child that's born, of light that can come. And you just, he's giving the whole history of, of the earth. And what's fascinating is as you read, you might get sick and tired of reading about all like the disastrous stuff that happens as people live out their lives the way they want to. As people live the law of the jungle, the world really becomes a jungle. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. And every single chapter, you might get bugged by the scriptures. <laughs> you're like, oh, I get it. Like this, this, they, you know, everyone, the walls break down and the wars come. And then you're like, oh my gosh, again and again and again and again. And you might get so tired of it. And let that be a witness. Let that be a testament to you of how good God actually is. If you're tired of reading it, <laughs> You, you can then easily can find reason why God would just want to give up on any and everybody. But the fact that he doesn't, that he keeps coming back after rejection, 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 gives you a, a, a view of his heart um, 
and one that hopefully overwhelms you with just how good he really is. Hmm. So keep that in mind as you read and get tired of like seeing like, oh my gosh. Just remember that God just keeps coming even in the midst of all of that. You can't scare him away. You can't overwhelm him with problems. There's nothing happening in your little world or this big world (laughs) that's going to push away or extinguish uh, the love and goodness of the Father and the Son. Oh, we're so lucky. For real. (laughs) That's it. That's just the luckiest. Okay, y'all. We'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.